Hello and welcome to Imagine an Apple, a podcast about our inner mental worlds. My name's Francis. And I'm Vin. Great to be here. Yeah, tell, tell me a bit about how, you got, how you're interested in mental experience. Like, what's, where are you coming from, Vin? So I think the most relevant bit of experience is the fact that I come from a different culture with a different whole background set of assumptions about worldviews and religion and how that influences phenomenal experience of everyday objects from anything as mundane as what beliefs are, but to how the gods and their persistence in the world um, affects people's emotional or affective um, responses to the world. And that's something that seems to have a lot more cultural variance than most people give, give it um, credit for. Um, apart from that, I'm also a cognitive scientist as well as an avid um, historian of emotions. I'm very interested in those kinds of perspectives on how um, the, our thoughts or mental lives are manifested. Um, and this is kind of why I'm talking about mental experiences today. Yeah, that's super fascinating. Um, it's a completely different angle because, yeah, my background is very much like Western scientific mindset background. Mm-hmm. And I've much more just become aware that we never talk about our inner experience. People just assume everyone else has the same experience of them by default. Mm-hmm. And things like whether you have an inner voice, what style it is, mm-hmm. how much you imagine things, how you use your imagination, how rich it is in different ways varies hugely uh, between people mm-hmm. and I think it's a bit of a it's one of the things that disconnects us from like who we actually are like living in a sort of abstract urban scientific capitalist kind of place <laughs> yes and w- one of the it, it, that we're very we're disconnected from our body is talked about a lot but I think we're also disconnected from really what's happening in our minds actually as well quite mm-hmm. a lot um, and because the mind and the body are connected. Well, they're connected, exactly. Um, and, yeah, those experiences are, yeah, they're, they're linked to us as whole beings, right, <laughs> as well. Another thing that really strikes me as um, making me realise why I have a different mental experience from other people is the exposure I have to Twitter. And I think Twitter also has this tendency to make you overshare lots of things that were previously thought to be just taken for granted. And one of the things that I certainly took for granted was the fact that I am fantastic. Well, the fact that I even have a word for that has come about from Twitter discourse. And uh, what really blew up was this discourse over the Apple. I'm not sure if you've seen that. Um, some people being able to imagine a five or a one on the imagine an Apple scale. And I was thinking to myself, well, surely everyone can do a five. It's so easy. And it, just for granted that anyone can conjure mental images of apples in their minds, shape and red and shiny, and that this was something anyone yeah, can do. The apples are super coming starting point. So yeah, it's good to mention it. So to explain for people who haven't thought about this at all, so the, a good question to ask someone to get into this stuff is, yeah, imagine an apple. So do this yourself. Imagine an apple in your head, and then. I guess, yeah, there's good ways of asking this question. Uh, it's a whole skill, but like ask, what's the apple look like? Uh, and ask, you know, what, do you know what color it is? Do you, uh, what's the lighting like on it? What is there behind it? Is it on a table? Is it in a room? Does it move? Is it 2D or 3D? Um, 
do you even see anything at all? Like, so if I ask you the colour, do you already know the colour, or do you make up the colour when I ask you? That, that kind of... Can you rotate it? ...thing, yeah. And just that one simple thing, I've had, yeah, a range... It's less of a range in some things, there's a, but there's a reasonable range of responses you get, and some are quite odd as well. I've had <laughs> from people I've asked that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so, uh, yeah, what do you... Just be, describe your apple, think of your simplest apple that comes oh, to your wow. mind. the simplest apple. Straightforward it apple, apple. It, there, it has a sharp line, it's red, it has a glimmer to it, I can make it shine if I want, I can take off the shine. There's a little bit of a green a leaf that's sticking to the end of it, although that's not how apples typically come in. Um, the well, where is it? Or? It's on the end of I can uh, imagine this apple however way I want, really, and the leaf is on the, the stem of the apple. Um, that's just like an artistic choice. I don't think any realistic yeah, yeah. apple has that. Um, and I can imagine it in my hand and holding it um, and like rotate it. Around. So your default is you're holding it? No, the default is like it exists by itself, sort of like not attached to anything in a perhaps like dark room, but I can also fill in the background if I want. And I can imagine it sitting on a table, for example, or in my hand. Um, but it involves a little bit more effort than simply just like keeping my eyes open because I think the stimuli, uh, the, the stimulus that comes from like my visual input gets in the way. And I think some people uh, that I've spoken to certainly can imagine apples as opaque as any real object in their visual field. And that's something that... How do you mean they're not opaque? Or? So for me, at least, uh, if I imagine an apple with my eyes open, it's there, I can sort of imagine it overlapping, or, or what's the word, well, overlapping the visual stimuli that I'm receiving with my eyes. Oh, you're seeing it as if you were seeing it with your eyes, because yes. often, right, okay, so that's already quite unusual. No, uh, really? The one you were talking about, you were seeing like that. The, like the, the one, one I was, well, the one in my hands, I'm kind of like imagining it, uh, but it's not there it's not opaque right but you can make it opaque if you choose to no i couldn't make it opaque. okay right yeah at most it'll be like transparent and and i can see through it yeah um, yeah so people sometimes describe that as like a second screen like yes. there's a second monitor in in their brain in their imagination and they mm -hmm. and that still has positions in it and things can appear anywhere on that monitor yeah. but they're not in the main actual vision yes. they're like a secondary uh sub vision um, so I'm, I thought I was aphantasic when I discovered all this a few years ago, mm -hmm. and I'm sure we'll talk about that another time. Aphantasic meaning you don't have any mental imagery, and it's, I think that's quite common, no one knows how common, but I reckon it's probably 5% of people or something, rather than one or less than 1%. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I'm technically hypophantasic, so very, which is like weakly uh, fantasic. So, I don't really, I would have said I didn't see an apple at all. Um, and I just think about an apple and the concept of an apple mm -hmm. and the word apple and what apples are like and whether I like apples and where you can get apples and things like that. Um, what I think now I sort of get slightly later in the processing of the notion of experiencing an apple. It's quite hard to describe this. I think this is probably what's happening to everyone, but it's just like more removed in me. So I certainly don't get the lighting or the shading. It's definitely just in a, not even black, like a same colour as when your eyes are closed, like a no-coloured kind of field. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just there, fairly large in the middle of it, um, mm. very weakly there. And the, even the fact of seeing anything at all is very weak. And it's more like, I'm, I can't remember the precise shape, 
but I can remember what it feels like to see the shape of an apple. Mm. And if that makes any sense to you. No, that makes sense, yeah. Because I sometimes have to rely on that when I'm not actively conjuring the image of it. Because that takes extra steps, but I can ah. still do that. Um, so it's just more energy to get a detailed yeah. apple. But it's probably still still low effort for me right. to do. Because and presumably also there might there are objects you don't know well and you mm. can't see the detail. Yeah. But you can yeah. still vaguely remember what it was like seeing them or something. Yes, yes. I think that yeah. definitely helps if you're familiar um, with it. And this is, this is obviously very different. So you must be seeing objects all the time, right? Mm, less so these days than before. I think these days I've uh, developed a capacity for like imagining text, but still in this like visual format, um, where I sometimes like dream in walls of text as opposed to like the normal dreams that I get of like it's all purely um, visual, visual, spatial, temporal stimuli. In my head, so I guess this kind of segues a little bit into like how I experience dreams, where aphantasics are said to like not experience dreams in this like visually rich um, mode, whereas most of my dreams are that they there there's a visual component and often a, an audio component, um, but as of late, instead of having dreams about like narratives and stories like a movie. I am experiencing my dreams as if it were Twitter, and I'm like seeing texts of words. And um, you visually see the text. I visually or see you the just text. Become I aware can, of the words. I, not just the words, uh, but I also see like the the tweet button, profile photo, the, the colors of the text, <laughs> behind the profile photos. Yes, yes, indeed, um, and all the like, little settings down there. So it's uh, so I'm imagining walls of text, uh, but visually. Um, and there'll be a narrative that happens. It'll be. It'll depend. Sometimes it doesn't have to be a narrative. Sometimes it's more like, oh, I need to like write this essay, and in a dream, it just comes in the form of like a wall of words that I typically like type out in a Twitter text box or something. So yeah, so dreams was how I realised I'm aphantasic. Um, I was thinking about dreaming because I was reading Jung, and um, I remembered this the advice for a piece of advice for lucid dreaming, mm -hmm. which is the one. There's one which is look at your hands a lot. And yeah. when you're in a dream, you have like one less finger. Well, that's something like that. <laughs> it's quite common, apparently. <laughs> and that's a way of helping you realize you're dreaming and therefore leads to lucid dreaming. And I was like, hang on, that makes no sense to me because I don't, I can't count my fingers in a dream. That's not how dreams work. Like, what are <laughs> they talking you. about? Yeah. So I searched for this and um, because there's more content about aphantasia on the internet since 2016 when there was a, it wasn't given a word. I found stuff which I never previously in my life. So how old, anyway, I was in my 40s and I had no idea that I didn't imagine. Mm -hmm. I, I thought everyone had a similar mental experience to me. And I was suddenly like, oh shit, other people can see things in their head. Mm -hmm. like, literally <laughs> um, and not just like... As not metaphorically. Thought. They could see the details, the lighting, the shading, the texture. Yeah. They can remember things, yeah, all sorts of things. So, yeah, so I came to it by dreams. I think dreams are definitely a separate, they're, a ca they're an orthogonal category because I've met people who have visual dreams but are otherwise aphantasic. Oh, um, that's interesting. And I think also the other way around. Like, I had a really, the most fantastic experience I've had since thinking about this in the last couple of years was actually a dream. I had, a, like, a dream of a video game trailer for a video game my brain had made up. Oh. And it was in completely visual because it kind of had to be, really. Yeah. It didn't really make sense. And, yeah, it had a character that 
you were and the way you moved and stuff and you, the, the, oh, the that's so fascinating. and it was suddenly pretty decent not like real, not amazing high quality it was like a cartoony okay. game but and it was fairly low quality but I was like oh I'm getting a bit more of a sense of what it's like to experience vision but that's I can't make that happen in the day mm -hmm. um, mm. so it's definitely that's yeah there's I think there's a link between the dream processing and other uses of mental imagery mm -hmm. but it's not rigid. Yeah. Similarly, so dreams is one. Do you have much difference, like, yeah, how you use imagination right now, but there's also, well, there's different uses of imagination, basically. Yeah. People can use it to imagine completely inventive things. They can use it to remember the past. And, uh, I mean, sorry, these are, all, these are all uses of imagination. They're uses of mental imagery. So the one I would call imagination is fictional things almost like creative yeah. things that don't exist you can remember the past is another one and I almost think kind of planning the future is a different one again it's slightly different from imagining fictional yeah. things yeah. and my sense of talking to people is different people do of all of these do different ones to different amounts but I don't know so do you find like what are your what's your imagery of the present the past and the future like does it vary and how's that compared to your dream imagery hmm here is less visual, for sure. It's more in the conceptual space. I think with so, which the, is less visual? The the imagine planning the future, like oh. thinking about the past. So you don't the future. You don't imagine scenes like I'm got a job interview. I will imagine I'm in the interview. Mm. I'll imagine what the person looks like. I'll imagine what they say to me. I'll practice imagining what I say back to them. I certainly do that in a more conscious way about the future. Um, meaning it takes more effort to imagine future scenarios. Whereas like with memories and imaginations of the past, uh. I'll remember like a specifically blue mug that was associated with a time in my life when I was doing A-levels or something like that. And it'll just pop into your it'll head. Pop into my head and I was like, oh wow, I just never realized how perfectly shaped this mug was or something like that. Um, and it certainly is evo evoked more strongly by other sensory uh, modes such as a particular smell, mm or a piece of music that I was listening to during um, the first time the album came out. Um, and that is very a strong way for me to like, be taken back into the past. Um, and it doesn't just like replay the music or the sounds, it also replays like the visual stimuli. Another thing that I want to like mention while we're at this is like I can't imagine smells. So I can recognize smells when they come <laughs> to me, but I can't conjure them with the same ease, if at all, uh, the sounds and the visual stimuli that I have in my mind's eye or like my mind's ear. But I know for a fact that some people, perhaps fewer, uh, are capable of producing and con conjuring the, the sense of smell just like on the spot. And that's certainly something I am deficient in. Um, mm. Yeah, the yeah, each sense has the same. It's like sense a whole bigger topic. Hundred uh, I mean, we should do whole episodes on yeah. audio and smell and stuff. I am um, aware that there is a touch. Word. Touch is one you can mention as well and remember. It's a bit harder. I think this is where I'm like maybe one uh, on a scale of one to five. Um, I know for a fact that there is a musical or like a sound equivalent to Fantasia and aphantasia terminology, which is a musica and. Okay. Uh, musica uh, don't quote me on this of course I think yeah. I could be wrong but there isn't one for olfactory senses um, gustatory yeah. senses and maybe what's the word for it? Hap 
authenticity? My guess is they're almost dominant because our culture is much more visual. Mm. Like in terms of priority of senses in society mm. that you need to be good at and right. people care about. Visual is quite high up and audio is quite high up. For most people. And smell and touch yeah. are lower down. So I um, think my primary sense is not visual. I think my primary sense is proprioceptive. Oh, okay. And this is very interesting. Oh, just explain what that is. So proprioception is just, it's sort of a sixth sense. I think the old Aristotelian idea of like having five senses is a very outdated model. We've now since discovered that's probably more than the five traditional senses. Anyway, one of those extra additional senses is the, the sense of proprioception. And proprioception is knowing where your body is yeah. in space. And it's very distinct from like touch and visual um, stimuli. Simply because... Yeah, I think skeletal position. Skeletal position, no, exactly. awareness. Because someone could be dancing and be um, exposed to the exact same stimuli, visual and um, touch mm. stimuli as another person. But if they lack the proprioceptive keenness, they're not able to mimic um, in a similar way the, the the dance maneuvers that someone who is more... Yeah, I came across it in uh, throwing pots, pots in pottery and you have to have your put your fingers an exact yeah. distance apart to get the yes. correct shape of pot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's nothing... The pot is moves that you can't use the force on it or yeah. you have to just know the distance apart of your fingers. There's yeah. no, like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's proprioception. And I think, for me, proprioception has been far more important in many situations um, mainly because when I'm cycling or something and I need to like make quick swerves to avoid um, mm. life and death scenarios sometimes literally life and death scenarios I owe so much more to like my <laughs> proprioceptive sense than to like visual sense so, so, that's, like, my... so the obvious question here is can you imagine proprioception or I don't know what that or remember, means. remember, recall memories of proprioception. I don't know what that means, certainly. Because, like, what does that mean to imagine proprioception in your head? Because it's always very uh, inextricable from your body, right? Sure, but I, I just, maybe I'm possibly good at, like, imagining possible states of my body yeah. what it's supposed to look like in so, a yoga move. So I've noticed yeah. huge variance in skill ability to copy other people's movements. Yes. I'm actually really poor at it. Uh, so if someone's doing something like, uh, you know, throwing a javelin or doing drop spindle spinning, mm -hmm. and there's a particular hand motion mm -hmm. needed to do that thing, yeah. um, I've watched other people just see it once and then and just able, like, to boom, 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 able to do it. Yeah, yeah. And I've been, I, I can't, it just takes me ages. I have to keep getting shown it. I don't remember the movement. Mm -hmm. I want to intellectually, conceptually know the movement. Like, why is the movement like that? What's the angle yeah. at? Why is it that angle? Mm -hmm. Rather than just copying the salient parts of the movement, which is yeah. much more efficient, letting the whole of my neural network process it, rather than shoving it through conscious, yeah, yeah. like rational awareness, which is what I tend to naturally do. Mm -hmm. So can you, are you good at doing that? I would say I'm more on the hyper, hyper, proprioceptive end of things, to coin yeah. a new word, simply because I do ice skating. And I've noticed that I only started ice skating very recently, um, in my uh, in less than a year ago. And I've already passed um, UK level skates, uh, UK level skate eight. And that's like the highest you can get right. 
and I'm now in like gold, um, early stages. So of you must be level. you must be rapidly copying other people's movements yes, as to I must how be, good surely. what good skating is by because, demonstration. Because uh, some of the other students in the class have been doing this for decades, and they're in um, yeah. their forties now, fifties. They've been doing this for uh, literally decades, and I've just caught up to them and surpassed them so easily in less yeah. than a year. Uh, maybe that's because I'm younger and I'm more willing to take falls. But I think there's also just uh, just hyper proprioceptive so, so possibly proprioceptive imagination could be because I was assuming since I found out as a fantastic that one of the reasons I'm bad at copying people's body movements mm -hmm. like can you see if you see someone skating and then you're trying to skate can you in your mind's eye exactly remember how they moved so oh, you can as you're doing oh, it copy their yeah. movement okay so is that a thing <laughs> so I don't use my visual imagination or my ability to um, ma manipulate in my mind's eye the image of someone skating. I certainly use that very little for ice skating. Okay. I think it is more just like an intuitive gut feeling like, okay, I know what to do with my hips, my shoulders, mm. my legs whenever I hit the ice. And that suggests to me um, further evidence that hyper proprioception is distinct from like hyper fantasia. Right, so you're, but is it to do with how your mind's, it might just be you're good at it in the now, so, like, I'm much better at processing things I can see than for stuff <laughs> yeah. in my imagination, and it's not, yeah. like, I'm perfectly able to do things that I can see right now, yeah. so, similarly, it might be you're just good at yeah. using proprioception right now mm. to properly respond to your body and mm. under understand the right motion. Yeah. But that's slightly different from do you use your mental <laughs> modelling proprioception mm. to remember what someone else is doing, copy them somehow? Or yeah, no, that's, it's hard to distinguish because, like, unlike the other four senses, which are certainly like richer mm. in like the information mm. and ability to describe, I think the uh, we se severely lack a vocabulary to describe proprioceptive phenomena in the same way that we don't mm. have as much. Um, olfactory term to describe mm. smells whereas we have we have that for like emotions um visual yeah. stimuli and um and sounds yeah interesting i mean i guess some of the vocabulary something like yoga has relevant vocabulary i think so yeah 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 i think that's probably where you see an efflorescence of the skill as well as like mm. the lexicon that is related to that skill and i'm not sure in which direction the probably it's probably a feedback loop okay. one uh, improving the, on the other so yeah so just in just in this one domain there are other domains of mental experience than sensing but in that one domain we're all kind of going around with slightly different takes like yeah and this is all the time that's what sort of strikes <sighs> i was kind of so if you see, you know, some people are good at whatever, cycling, or some people are good at programming or something, like typically they're, you're like, oh, when they they're doing it. that thing, they're good at it. Yeah. And it's all But something like whether or not you have a mental imagination, like every day, every minute of every day, yeah. that's having an impact on how you act within the world and what your experience of the world yeah, is. Certainly. Um, and it's just re really weird that it doesn't really get mentioned. There are some arts communities where it gets mentioned sometimes. Mm -hmm. And there's the odd reference in the literature, but very, very few and far apart, far between. And yet, so it's like, I feel like our whole society has kind of just ignored this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and there's this uh, language is kind of quite interesting here. So w when I first found out that everyone else could imagine, I was a bit in shock. I was in shock for weeks. I wrote this wild blog post, like just stream of consciousness about yes. how shocked I was. Yeah. And all of these words suddenly change their meaning, like picture an animal. Yeah, picture some picture this means literally picture it. Yes. A flashback is actually you actually get a flash of the scene. Yes. Um I, I, yeah, when people count sheep, they actually see the sheep, which is why it never worked for me. Um it, it's yes, like yeah, a, yeah. There's just a million things where where the vocabulary is much more literal. I thought it was metaphoric. Yeah. And all sorts of stuff in film I thought was just made up by clever filmmakers. Yeah. But actually, it's they just representing what they're really experiencing. Um, probably hyperfantasics. Yeah, <laughs> lots of techniques yeah. of, of showing previous scenes and showing scenes in people's memories and showing scenes in people's dreams. Mm. I thought it was just creative, and, yeah. it, and it's not. Um, and obviously, what's strange is that our language is so weak that that can happen. Like, 10% of the population can be in that situation, mm -hmm. and no one ever notices. Yeah. It's not a thing. It's only as of... I mean, it speaks to how recently this... Um, awareness of the different mm. kinds of ways of experiencing the world has only just caught on and p primarily because Twitter is a platform that encourages oversharing and if we didn't start some bits of Twitter yeah yeah <laughs> if we didn't start oversharing like these minutia of experience I certainly would have gotten up completely oblivious mm. for the rest of my life expecting people to like oh what do you mean you can't do this thing obviously it's so obvious mm. um, and yeah, and it makes me question like all the sorts of things that I took for granted growing up as a child and having certain capacities or techniques that were useful to me. Uh, just as you mentioned, um, imagining sheep while counting sleep. That was actually one of my techniques for getting to bed uh, because I thought, oh, sometimes I'm too uh, tired and like my body is ready to go to sleep but my mind isn't. So I thought I'll exhaust it by instead of imagining counting sheep, I instead... Uh, explode my visual imagination with all sorts of like um, visual stimuli and so I'd imagine a unicorn and a rainbow and birds and trees and animals and people's faces and I just let it explode until like exhaust my, my capacity to like imagine and then then once it started cooling down I'd say okay now my mind is sufficiently exhausted I can like go into sleep mode now so the fact that most people didn't do that kind of like speaks to me like, well, what if I, what if this is the reason why I'm, I never suffer from insomnia and other people do? I think I almost do things like go to sleep easily partly because I don't have all of those things. Oh, okay. <laughs> Weirdly. Okay. This is a, well, so daydreaming was another of these words, which I didn't understand. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously it's much more dis dis distracting to daydream if you have photorealistic imagery mm -hmm. than mm -hmm. if you're just thinking about stuff. And it's not like I can't daydream, but it's it's much less compelling than just looking at the physical world that I'm in. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. So I get kind of weirdly less, I get rooted in the now. Lots of things that people try to get from meditation. Yeah. I think kind of a fantastic people somewhat have because right. we just... don't have this ability to go into a fantastical world. Right. Um, yeah. Which is kind of weird. Uh, yeah. Commonly known as daydreaming. Right? Yeah, like meditation, I have to get rid of the inner voice noise, yes. but... 
yeah, the kind of concentrate on a candle. It's like it's not like I've got loads of other random imagery flitting in if I don't imagine a candle. Yeah. So I don't really need to imagine a candle. <laughs> it's like a kind of weird. Well, yeah. I think it's yeah, I think it is a little bit more distracting for me to have so much stuff going in my visual imagination. Now, having said that, daydreaming it just occurred to me um, to bring up some of my experiences um, as an ethnographer and working with Bonaean shamans um, in my time there, twelve months, um, yeah, eleven months ago. I came across uh, a bobohizan, and a bobohizan is, um, it's hard to, to translate that term, but they're effectively shamans or seers or priestesses or spiritual people, ritual specialists in Borneo who have um, extraordinary powers. And some of these extraordinary powers do include the regular gamut of like healing and being able to be uh, uh, to pass down ancestral knowledge. But some of it does get into this domain of like hyperfantasia where they are cap- capable of imagining um, or seeing, shall we say, to, uh, seeing ghosts and spirits and mm. rogon, um, which are these malevolent spirits, in their visual field, mm. almost as if they're daydreaming mm. them into existence. And I experienced this when I was... Um, doing an interview with uh, one of these Bobohizans. And she, once I earned her trust enough, um, asked me whether I could see the the creature behind me. And I didn't want to break the spell. So I said, yes, I, I see it. I, uh, tell me, but tell me more about what you see. <laughs> and so then she, ex- uh, accepting that I was now like part of the people who won't take her as a crazy person, mm. starts um, expanding more on what she can literally see behind me. And it's this like dark figure of a Rogon, uh, which she can see visually with her eyes. And, 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 mm. and she's not dreaming it. And she takes this as real. Mm. And she knows it's a spirit. She knows it's coming from another world, um, but it exists among us. And she has all these rules uh, about how to interact with it. But this idea of being able to see uh, these creatures, she describes as a skill, uh, such that when she was younger, she merely saw flashes of it and um, shaded images of um, shadows, perhaps, mm. that disappear when she looks um, at it directly. But now, because she's developed the ability, it stays within her vision, even when she focuses on it and isn't just like a flashing image in, in the peripheral of her, of her eyesight. Yeah, just to yeah to sort of add some context. That's that's super interesting, and I would have interpreted that very differently like mm. five or ten years ago yeah. than I do now. Because I'm immediately like, first of all, I'm immediately less skeptical. Like, yes. if you take the Western science thing, it's yeah. just like, oh, they're seeing ghosts. This is nonsense. <laughs> yeah. Whereas now I know uh, I've got a friend. Maybe we, maybe we can interview him at some point. Who, as a kid, was sufficiently bored. He started using his imagination a lot and got to the point where he could make things appear in his actual vision. Mm-hmm. And the word for this happens, not many people do this. Again, I think it's the opposite. I think quite a lot of people do. My guess is it's five or 10% of people. Mm-hmm. So similar to the number who are aphantasic. And the word, someone called uh, aphantasia meow on the internet, the word he's given to it, which I quite like as a word, is a prophantasia. Prophantasia. Uh, which is like projecting your fantastic imagery into the real world. Mm-hmm. So the pro is for projection. Um, right. Yeah. 
and it's certainly possible to consciously control and project real objects into the into the your actual vision rather than on the second screen that we talked about earlier. <laughs> and he would, yeah, he would make a dragon come out of the pavement for fun, um, <laughs> and it'd be realistic, and it'd yeah. be like, oh, this whole thing, like a a film mm-hmm. um, apparently people make people invisible and it happens like at high school what? and stuff where there'll be the, another That's kid you hate and you fuzz them out and it's a bit literally like the invisible man in a film it's like the black they know episode. they're there yeah. they can see them obviously <laughs> their eyes are getting photons of them yeah. but then they've made their early in their visual cortex relatively early yeah. they substitute them and it just becomes a blur of a constructed background oh, of what's amazing. behind the person they just effectively um, block them in real life yeah so they can basically yeah like literally block in real life yeah um, and this is a thing, apparently. Um, <laughs> it's like that Black Mirror so you're episode. Like, oh, okay. So this is clearly a technique, and clearly people can learn it. A yeah. bit like you said, the sh- even the shaman was learning that, the, the, mm. the technique. And we're very dismissive of this, and use words like hallucination, and it's things like schizophrenic, like the idea of people seeing things they shouldn't see. Mm-hmm. But if it's done deliberately, if you know you're doing it... And you're controlling it. And you're, and you're not just... It's not like a part of your brain you've got no control of that's madly giving you imagery in the real world, which is obviously very disconcerting. But the shaman knows that this isn't an actual... If it, it's a spirit, yes. not a physical... It, she's not getting confused about yeah. reality. She knows you can't see it, um, but she knows she can see it. Yeah. And so this so, is so it's an interesting, like, in-between. Mm-hmm. So now I'd be like, oh, interesting. She could just be subconsciously, prophantastically constructing this character as a metaphor to something. Mm-hmm. So I at least believe <laughs> that there's value in it. Mm-hmm. Now, there could be more beyond that, but that's like a... So do you... Yeah, how do you... Do you ever do this? And how do you feel about it? Do you... Oh, that's interesting. Did you get to see anything? Like, when you were doing it in this context that was much more like in an environment where it was assumed that you might see things, mm. did you... And do people share what they see? Like, how does that work? I'm, uh, I'm certain that they share what they see, but uh, only the gifted seers actually see anything. I certainly don't engage in profantasia as far as I'm um, aware. I don't remember any cases where I actively conjure um, images of things in the world. Although, um, actually, I probably have. I probably have uh, when I was a child much more. Uh, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, I, before that, I want to mention um, Tanya Lerman's work. So Tanya Lerman is an anthropologist, and she wrote a very interesting book with a very interesting title of How the, Be- the Gods Became Real, or... How God Becomes Real, Kindling the Presence of Invisible Others, to be more exact. And in it, she does anthropological work um, in three regions of the world. Um, one in Accra, in somewhere in Africa. Um, another one um, in India. I, I can't remember which city now. I think it was Mumbai. And another um, region was... In America, again, I can't remember exactly where it was. But these three different societies um, have different relationships or expectations of pro-fantasic entities. um, Such that when you speak about God or like divine beings or spiritual beings in these different cultures, there are different attitudes people take towards them, such as, you know, for example, in India and, and Accra, for example, it's, yeah, it's obvious that these spirits or these beings exist and we can see them and we make them real and we collectively agree that I'm seeing something um, mm. that is real, even though some some of you might not be able to see it. We accept its reality, albeit its visibility d- it differs from person to person. 
Um, whereas speaking about the Holy Spirit in a Euro-American context always has to be prefaced um, or caveated with, I know this is going to sound crazy, I'm not schizophrenic, <laughs> um, but I felt the Spirit of the Lord or something like that. And they, they Yeah, I mean, in, yeah, in Western Protestantism, I think, yes. in, yeah, some Catholic stuff is maybe different. Mm. And in Africa, it's very different, Christianity. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's not the religion. It's more probably the Enlightenment. Or, the yeah. Enlightenment, or, yeah. <laughs> something Attitudes towards the natural, supernatural. Yeah. What is real and what is not real. And this really goes into, like, how ontologies are fundamentally different in uh, different cultures. Um, so, for example, in Accra, it's just taken for granted that if you envy someone or you say a bad word, this bad word has the I don't know, magical property of inflicting harm onto someone. So they take um, speaking curses a little bit more oh, seriously. Wow. Whereas, of course, in our Euro-American context, you curse someone, it's like, whatever. Right? Like, it's not going to affect someone. It's a bit like expecting um, prayer... Uh, prayer healing healing prayers mm. to to be eff eff efficacious um whereas that's not the case um but prayer healing is believed to work in the same way that curses um carry magical energy in them that can have causal effects in the world in these um, non-western societies mm. right so that's getting on to the yeah the bigger topic of other cultural things that make our experience of the world different fundamentally mm -hmm. Mm. Um, yeah, what's a, I don't know, yeah, what a good entry point into that topic is like a, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I don't really know. Because <laughs> mm. I suppose my question for that, like obviously different people have different beliefs, and I don't want to go into this in massive detail in this episode, yeah. but obviously people have different um, knowledge about the world and mental models of what's happening and beliefs about what's going on. Mm -hmm. And the example you gave is super tangible of people are prophantastically, and maybe that's real in some meaningful way, seeing beings. Mm -hmm. But that's quite tangible. Like yes. there's a difference that the shaman she was actually <laughs> seeing the being. She was. Um, and and there's some specific concrete meaning to that. But it must be more amorphous. Usually, it's just like a difference in attitude or a difference in. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, uh, the fact that one can see things in the world um, speaks to like different attitudes to what is real and what is not. And if your reality happens to disagree with the dominant interpretation of what should be real, mm. then you've bought, effectively bought into the wrong ontology and that kind of sets you up to be oh. labeled as schizophrenic. So to socially succeed, which we all do as social primates, mm -hmm. you would sort of ignore the bits of your reality that you really saw yes, or experienced and adjust a, them to the sort of status quo the status quo of what it counts as of real. your society so in my case like yeah because the, the, this links to the language thing again that um, I made up since I was a child that all of these words were metaphors for vision mm -hmm. and it didn't matter I mean socially I was largely fine there are certain things I'm unable to do yeah. that I, I, could, I could you know or are less good at but because late 20th century Britain heavily rewards, you know, conceptual thinking, mm -hmm. I didn't need to have a strong imagination. It wasn't yeah. necessary. And so I was a linguistically, there's this thing where we have a shared, our shared layer is basically linguistic, really. Mm -hmm. to, I mean, it's not, but the obvious shared layer is linguistic. 
And as long as that's functioning, you can get along socially. Yes. Yeah. Um, as long as you remember that imagination is the opposite of reality. Uh, oh, how do you mean? So. Oh, so I think this is another thing where language forces us to adopt um, the reality of common consensus or the reality of like the status quo or status quo reality, which is that if something is imagined, then that can't be part of real reality. Whereas mm. um, if you take as a different set of presuppositions to be true, which is that, yes, you can have imagined reality as well as unimagined reality. And they're both equally reality, just reality at different like ontological yeah. levels. Then you don't immediately take as a foregone conclusion that imagination can be discarded because it's just like trivial or unreal oh i see so right so western culture doesn't take that seriously enough because if yes. it had i would have noticed right yes like the fact that you couldn't be amphantasic in a society that cared more about imagination or took it more seriously yes it's almost seen as like a little bonus extra visualization that you don't really necessarily need it's, yes. it's almost how it's treated in the west mm -hmm. whereas if you don't have this strong imagination versus reality dichotomy you don't try to like uh, box every bit of your mental experience into imagination, therefore trivial, um, and mm. uh, mental phenomena that is like real and painful and therefore psychiatric as um, real uh, and therefore taken taken seriously by mental health professionals. This kind of dichotomizing um, into real and imagination also has the effect of um, treating things in the real categories um, serious and the things that fall into the imagination box as like not serious and therefore we don't have to like pay attention to the mm. minor details and dis distinctions between them whereas if cultures kind of like don't collapse don't dichotomize these things and just treat it all treat us all as like one reality and one world there has uh, there is a tendency to avoid uh, trivializing um, the imagined stuff and you tend to take more seriously all these spirits and emotions and envy and evil eyes and what have you. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, we should definitely come back to yes, I the think, body yeah. part of that as well, because you mm. mentioned emotion and yeah, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Where is emotion and so on? Where are emotions, yeah. Which so definitely, definitely release that. Definitely Fantastic. Another, but that's definitely for another episode. There are a lot of topics. Um, this is so under-talked about. <laughs> There's definitely hours of uh, <laughs> conversation and interviews needed. Um, great. Yeah. Uh, so how should we wrap this up? How shall we wrap this up? Um, well, what have we talked about so far? Just to like summarize this. That's a good way to... Um, different people imagine apples differently. That's for sure. <laughs> um, and the only way we can find out about this is if we have Twitter and like some <laughs> medium that allows us to talk about it and speak about it, or in this case, write about it. And then discover that, oh, people don't actually mean this metaphorically. They actually literally mean picture an apple. Mm, and yeah, and that applies to every other sense. Other se yeah, proprioception so, is kind of like my go. Well, even proprioception, yeah, even proprioception, yeah. Audio, smell, um, touch, proprioception. And how that translates. All of them can probably be imagined badly or worse in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, and... This also translates into how we experience our dreams. Um, dreams sometimes have oh, a visual yeah. component and 
for most people for some Dream, people don't dreams and the past and uh, the and present future. and the future mm-hmm. uh, and you can use imagination in different ways in all of those uh, quite it's quite a rich vein of variety it's as varied as yeah yeah any other human activity or art form or something it's like hugely varied and then there's the pro fantasia where you project your mental imagery onto the real world sometimes in a second screen kind of way but sometimes in the actual um visual well yeah the pro fantasia is, is word is you reserve it into the actual world oh yes okay. um, but yeah you it, it, there's a continuum i think to some extent in right. it could get more and more vivid and more and more spatially present related to them yeah okay um and then yeah and that's that that's definitely the highest end of skill yeah there are people who don't imagine at all and there are people who commonly project things into the physical world mm-hmm. uh you could yeah we'll get onto tooling as well at some point uh, <laughs> like you can use all these in practical ways um and then we talked about other elements so coming to other elements of the difference of being from a different human culture and what culture sets you in a certain way of your mental experience mm-hmm. and makes you aware of it in a certain way and because we're talking about visual imagination a lot, that you gave a really cool example of um, yeah a shaman in Borneo profantastically seeing a being. Yes. And yeah, if you don't believe in other beings, then you can believe that her mind constructed the being and it has a rich meaning mm-hmm. that that's where it came from. It, but maybe there's more than that, and it's very hard to yeah if you. If you don't take seriously the experience, you're not really, you're, you're just sort of, um, yeah. You rule it out. out you're dismissing out part there. of reality because yeah. the experience of her seeing the being is part of reality. So, yeah. Um, and then you said more stuff about, yeah. Um, that. I think we conclude on like imagination and reality and how different cultures draw that line separately. Or maybe mm. they don't even have a boundary between the imagined reality and the like real reality medicalization of schizophrenia or um mm-hmm. yeah the, the sort of somewhat dismissing of people constructing things or having a reality but, separate from the yeah reality. saying it's constructed like yeah. we're choosing to say that certain things are constructed um and that's definitely yeah it's definitely a mindset that's worked and done certain things <laughs> but it also misses a lot of other things so yeah fantastic i think Thank you, Vin. That was fantastic. Thank you very much, Francis. This um, is fabulous. Yeah. And, um, yeah, do... Um, <laughs> what I meant to say, like, do like and subscribe <laughs> and write in the comments. I mean, what I'm really interested in is people, like, sure, just give things that this occurs to you that are interesting. Like, tell us, get in touch with us, write, write in comments how you experience the world and how this has made you think about how you experience the world. If we've made you realise, maybe that's something you experience differently from others Mm -hmm. that has an impact on your life. Uh, Like, stories of that are just super interesting and help us all understand what's happening. Um, So, yeah, I'd love love to hear about that. So would I. Right. Thank you very much. Great. Have a lovely uh, rest of your day. Mm